the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When Christ comes and the storm breaks loose against every evil and every person who sides with it at the end of time, will you be able to stand? That's the salient question here. That is Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today's message is entitled The Seal of God from the East. It's a part of the Revelation series, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast. I'll have information on how you can attend the worship service in person if you would like. You can also attend anytime online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Pastor Michael Oxentanko continues in the Revelation series now with the first portion of the seal of God from the east. That's the seal of God from the east. Here's Pastor Mike. NASA recently released the video that was appropriately called Seven Minutes of Terror. Did anyone see that video? I mean, an unbelievable animation depicting the descent of the Curiosity orbiter. Now, the video depicts the arrival of the Mars lander Curiosity into orbit around Mars, followed by seven minutes of orbital hell and then descent through the Martian atmosphere. I mean, seven minutes of absolute violent entry into Mars. The entry to Mars was so intricate that the massive probe could not afford to make a single mistake at any moment during its descent. One mathematical error or one misstep and the probe would have burned to ashes in the Martian atmosphere or crashed into the side of a Martian mountain. Early Monday morning, we got the news that the lander module survived the seven minutes of terror. It is now taking pictures of the surface of Mars. And they said those pictures look so much like the desert near the NASA facility that produced this orbiter. It was really an amazing thing. Friend, when Christ returns at the end of the age, there will be seven minutes of terror. When lightning flashes from the east to the west... When the Son of Man breaks into human history, not as the suffering servant, not as the babe of Bethlehem, but as the Logos, the primordial principle of life, as the very Son of God who commands the universe. And when that awesome day occurs, it will be seven minutes of terror, so to speak. Revelation 1-7 says, Behold, He's coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him. And those also who pierced Him, and all the nations of the earth will mourn on account of Him. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The end of the world will be a day of reckoning, and all will be suddenly brought to face-to-face with the One who is the ultimate authority in the universe. And friends, in that day, it will be a day of terror for many. Revelation 6-12-17, in the sixth seal, we have the picture described in the book of Revelation. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great men, the generals, the rich and the strong, and everyone, slave and free, 
hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And then the question is asked, who can stand before it? In verse 17, the inhabitants of the earth ask the question that is the critical question that we must ask ourselves this day as we follow Christ, as we seek to be ready for that day. The question is simple. Who will be able to stand? Friend, this question is perhaps the most important question you can ask yourself in your own walk with Christ. And you need to answer it for yourself in such a way that there's a level of confidence in Jesus for that day. You don't need to wait for that day to answer that question. It can be answered today. The question is real and alive. Will you be able to stand? When Christ comes and the storm breaks loose against every evil and every person who sides with it at the end of time, will you be able to stand? That's the salient question here. When all the cities fall and every island sinks into the sea and every mountain is moved out of its place, when there's no platform left on earth, will you be able to stand? That is the question. And the answer to this question that ends the sixth seal in Revelation 6.17 is answered in Revelation 7 verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. It's very clear here that the person who stands is clothed in a white robe. Verse 10, and how do they get it white? Crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. There will be a group of people at the end of time who do not trust in their own righteousness, who are not basing their acceptance with God on the rags of their achievements. There will be a group of people at the end of time who know deep inside that salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb, and they will give glory to God and to Jesus because they know that Christ is the reason they got there. Friend, in that day, will you be able to stand? Without Jesus, you cannot stand. I mean, this notion of developing yourself in such a way that you can stand because you feel you've arrived is a wrong equation for the last days. Friend, there is no way to stand unless you have Jesus in your life and Christ as your righteousness over the sins of your life. In Revelation 7, 1, the Bible pictures four angels holding back the four winds of strife. These four angels are actively engrossed with two specially defined tasks. They have a job description that is clearly defined. Task number one, they restrain human evil and global strife until the end of time. I mean, there's a reason why the whole world doesn't break loose and fall apart. It's because four angels are pictured here holding back evil so it cannot destroy the world. And task number two, they cooperate with the sealing angel of Revelation 7 too, to bring the seal of the living God, to place it upon the foreheads of the servants of God before the end of all things. So these are the two tasks that they must accomplish. Now, vital question, who are these four angels who hold back global strife and who assist God's people in the receiving of the seal of the living God? Friends, these four angels appear again in the book of Revelation, the context of four clearly defined end-time messages that must go to all the world. They help the sealing angel because they are, in fact, angels that carry messages to the world. And as such, they restrain evil from destroying the world. Now, the first three of these angels appear again in Revelation 14, verses 6 to 13. We're not going to read that. I'm just going to survey it with you. And the fourth angel appears in Revelation 18, 1. 
These four angels have four distinct messages that prepare the world for the coming of Jesus Christ. I was recently in a company of ministers where I heard some ministers bad-talking the preaching of these three angels. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time believing that God would place three angels' messages in Revelation 14 and then picture Jesus coming in Revelation 14 if he wanted us to ignore those messages. I cannot see the logic of putting them there if they have no importance. And I have heard people in our church, and this is what blows my mind, here we are living on the eve of the advent of Jesus Christ. I mean, the mark of the beast, friends, is coming in this country. And there is a milieu, there is a lethargy in our own movement at this time of earth's history where people would rather hear any and everything but the very messages that Christ has placed in the Bible to prepare a people to stand before God at the second coming of Christ. I frankly can't grasp that. We are living at the end of time, and you need to understand what prophetic truth is saying to you, and so do I, because Christ, in his love concern for us, has placed it in the book of Revelation. At the end of time, prophecy is not optional if you are a Christian following the word of God. When I hear Christians say, well, I just want the gospel, I don't want prophecy. You know what Christ told the Jewish people when the city of Jerusalem was about to be destroyed? He said, would that even now you knew the ways that were for peace, but they are forever hidden from your eyes. He says, your enemies will come, they'll cast a siege work around you, they'll not leave a stone left and all that. He says, because you did not know the time of your visitation. He says, if you had studied the prophecies of the book of Daniel, you would have recognized me. You would have received the gospel. You would have been prepared to escape what comes upon the city of Jerusalem. Now, we can take that by analogy, friends. If we are unwilling to study the prophecies, how on earth can we expect God to deliver us on that great day when Jesus returns? God has placed this material in the Bible so we can be ready for the second coming of Jesus, so we can have a gospel experience that stands the test of persecution so we can make it to the end. So those who embrace these four angels' messages before the end will stand with Jesus Christ on Mount Zion with the name of the Father and the name of the Lamb written on their foreheads. And how do we know that? Because the Bible says so. We know that because the Scripture clearly teaches that is what happens. Now, the first angel's message is a repetition of the everlasting gospel in the context of end-time judgment. It's found in Revelation 14, 6 and 7. The second angel's message follows. It has no loud voice. It is the warning that an end-time religious system called Babylon has a double fall. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. Followed by the third angel's message, which is the warning to refuse the mark of the beast and its image. The fourth angel's message that follows the third a little later is a repetition of the second angel that calls God's people out of Babylon. The, the third angel is in Revelation 14, 9 to 12, but the fourth comes in Revelation 18, 1 to 3. It is a repetition of the second angel's message. It is a global call for people around the world to separate from an end-time religious system that actively persecutes and that has actively killed people in the Mark of the Beast issue, a future call of God to the Christian world. The four angels are comprehensive in their work, and when they are done, Jesus Christ returns in the clouds of glory in Revelation 19, verse 11. So when you look at it, these four angels assist the sealing angel of Revelation 7, 2 that is rising from the east. So the four are working with the one. And all of these angels together work to seal the servants of God 
on their foreheads so they can stand with a true faith in Jesus when the whole world receives the mark of the beast. Now, let me ask you a silly question here. How many of you would like to get the mark of the beast? Raise your hand. Now, don't raise your hand. I mean, wouldn't that be a silly question? How many would like to have the mark of the beast? Obviously, no one here would like to have the mark of the beast, right? Now, we should say, amen, yes. You know, here you are kind of silent. You should be sure of that, right? Sure of it. Very good. Well, I mean, the opposite of the mark of the beast is the seal of the living God. Now, how many of you want to have the seal of the living God on your forehead? Raise your hand. I mean, so we need to study the Bible, dig in, and find out what it is, or we have no business here playing around with the Word of God. We don't want the mark. We want the seal of the living God. So all these angels work together to seal the servants of God. We need to let them work in our life. They will stand with Jesus, these people who are sealed, in the face of death, and they will stand when the final terror comes, and they will not be afraid in the sense that they will not be terrorized by the glory of God. They'll be drawn into glory at the end of time. In Revelation 14.1, the Bible says they stand on Mount Zion, and they have the Father's name written on their foreheads. Look at Revelation 14.1. Then I looked, and lo, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. Now, those who stand in the face of the final terror are described in Revelation 7 and Revelation 14. Both chapters, we see the 140,000. They're described as 144,000 strong. Now, what is this number all about? I'm not going to do a full sermon today on the 144,000, but let me just briefly kind of allude to what it means. The number of 144,000 is a symbolic number. We know that 12 times 12,000, the key number 12, Three times four, the number three is the number for God, four, the four corners of the earth, global. We know 12 is the number for God's people, 12 tribes, 12 apostles, so on. So, I mean, the number of 140,000 is a massive number describing God's people globally around the world. In Revelation 14:3, it says, these are those who have been redeemed from the earth. The Bible is absolutely clear here. They will pass the test that comes upon the whole world and they will not receive the mark of the beast because they have the seal of the living God. And so I want to be with that number, don't you? The servants of God who have the seal. Now in Revelation 6.17, the question is asked in the sixth seal, who will be able to stand? And then in Revelation 7.9, the reader sees a multitude standing before the throne giving praises to God and His Son, Jesus Christ. I want to be in that group. Now, this morning, I'd like to focus on the verses in between Revelation 6, 17 and Revelation 7, 9. These verses in Revelation 7 describe the process that creates a people who are able to stand to the second coming of Jesus. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. And in the book of Revelation, the final generation will either have, as I said, the mark of the beast, or they will have the seal of the living God. They will have nothing in between. There will be no middle ground at the end. Two groups, clearly defined. Now, before we study the mark of the beast in Revelation 13, we must first understand the seal of the living God, which appears in Revelation 7. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation 7, verse 1. 
After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Now here we see the four angels in their protective role just before the end of time. Verse 1 pictures them standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of strife. Now the four winds of strife here obviously mean the opposite of these four angels. It would indicate demonic forces that are trying to press in and destroy the people of God. Now the expression of four winds occurs seven times in the Old Testament, so it's nothing new in the Bible, but it appears here as well. And every time it describes events that occur on a global scale. In Jeremiah 49, 36, it describes war and destruction against the nation of Elam by a great world power. In Ezekiel 37, 9, it describes the resurrection of the nation of Israel by the Spirit of God that comes from the four winds. In Daniel 7, 2, the four winds blow on the great sea, symbolizing a sea of nations, and four great world empire beasts appear in the context of chaos and war. In Daniel 8, verse 8, the little horn appears and grows toward the four winds in its attack on God and the people of God. In Revelation 11, 4, the kingdom of Alexander the Great, the Greek kingdom of Alexander, is broken and scattered toward the four winds. In Zechariah 2, 6, the nation of Israel was scattered toward the four winds, and the voice of God came from the north to tell Israel to leave Babylon. So we find the four winds at very important points in the Old Testament when things happen on a global scale. Look at Zechariah 2, verses 6 to 7. Now, here we have them in the context of God's people being called out of ancient Babylon when they were in captivity in the 6th century. Verse 6, Ho, ho, flee from the land of the north, says the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, says the Lord. Ho, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. So the fourth angel of Revelation 18, 1 to 3, and when you look at this correspondence, is the final call to get out of Babylon. And so we would see the four angels facilitating a call to take God's people out of oppression, to take them out of captivity and bring them home to God. Fallen, fallen is Babylon, the fourth angel says. Come out of her, my people. The last reference to the four winds in the Old Testament is Zechariah 6, verse 5. Let's pick up the context in verse 1 and read down. And again I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled gray horses. Now my son just bought a chariot. It's called a Ford Mustang. Now I'm sure you've been in a chariot. It doesn't have four wheels, yes or no? Now here it's likened, you know, you see the four chariots, the four horses, the four winds all together. When my son got that car, I mean, I had set aside a, a nice vehicle for my son to go to college with. It was a Ford Freestyle. I'd had it for three years, took very good care of it, put synthetic oil in it, made sure it was kept from having scratches, unnecessary dings as best I could. And I came to him one day and I said, son, I am giving you my prized car so I can buy a new Jetta TDI diesel. And he looked at me and he said, you're giving me that golden retriever Kind of, kind of car, which is kind of a no guts to it. I said, well, it was my favorite vehicle for all those years. And he said, okay, Dad, I'll do it. I'll take it because I kind of love you. But he didn't love the car. Okay, now that put me in difficult straits. I said, well, then he came back to me. He said, Dad, did you really give it to me or are you just trying to control me with the gift? 
I said, I'm giving it to you. He says, when you give someone something, they can sell it. I said, okay. So he put that thing up for sale on Craigslist. It didn't really sell. I said, you got to get at least five or $6,000 for it. And everybody wanted 3000 So finally, he found a place that sold a Ford Mustang at a used dealership, which was a 501c3 charity for people who are trying to get out of their uh, homeless situation. And we went up there, and boy, it was beautiful. It was pretty. Even swap. When we drove out of there, he was driving a chariot that was as fast as the wind. And I said, slow down. And I'll be saying slow down for a long time, I'm sure. Now, here's the point. When we speak of a chariot, we're talking about something that can move, right? Heaven can move from there to here through these four angels. God can interact with human history suddenly through the appearance of these beings. And my son can get from A to B suddenly with his new chariot. By the way, just a sideline here, the clutch was blown out of this thing in the first week. That gets pretty expensive if you don't you know, kind of shift slowly. And notice the four angels here are pictured riding chariots as they pass through two massive and conspicuous mountains of bronze. The passage in Zechariah 6 is a clear allusion to 1 Kings 7.21, which mentions two pillars of bronze in the temple of Solomon that were named Jochim and Boaz. So they're moving through these large mountain pillars of bronze, moving from the holy place and the most holy place of God's sanctuary in heaven to the earth. Back and forth they go. Symbolically, they represent the doorway that exists between the heaven you cannot see and the earth that is here. They are, in a real sense, the connection of that doorway. They move in behalf of God to make a difference in the world. Zechariah 6, 4, Then I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? He wants to know. And the angel answered me, These are going forth to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The four angels can inflict judgment when God instructs, and they can bring peace if it is needed. That is what is happening in the book of Zechariah. So in the book of Revelation, these four angels carry messages from God that affect the world on a global scale. And these four angels are pictured in Revelation 7, restraining the four winds, the four evil forces of world history, because there is a need for men and women to hear the word of God, to turn to God at the end of time. So just before this final seven plagues, these four angels are holding back evil so you can get into your Bible, you can know the truth, you can have a relationship with Jesus, and you can be saved. Are they good angels or bad angels? Well, we, we need to then pay attention to them. Look at Revelation 7, 1 to 3. The four angels are pictured here holding back the four winds of strife so that we can have a chance to be saved. Very clearly it says, so the servants of God can be sealed on their foreheads. Now in Revelation 7, 1, the four angels are pictured protecting the earth, number one, the sea, number two, and the trees. So let's analyze these three symbols one at a time. Let's first look at the sea. First, the sea represents the chaotic nations and peoples of the earth that give rise to the beast power in Revelation 13 and the four great world empires of Daniel 7. The sea is symbolic of peoples who create monstrous beasts. Isaiah 57, 20. Take your Bible and turn there with me. The Bible here says, But the wicked are like the what? What kind of sea? Tossing sea, for it cannot rest, and its waters toss up what? Mire and dirt. So is the sea a positive thing or a negative thing? It's very negative. And we, we know in Daniel 7, the four great beasts or world empires come up out of the sea. 
Revelation 13, 1, the beast ascends from the sea just like the beast in Daniel. The fish that live in the sea, which die in the second plague, in Revelation 16, 3, represent the fish that can be caught by the gospel net. Now, in Luke 5, 10, what did Jesus tell Peter? I will make you what? A fisher of men. The, Peter, of course, is the fisherman. And the fish are those who will be converted to Christ from the sea. The last miracle in the Gospel of John in chapter 1 is the kingdom catch of 153 fish on the Sea of Tiberias. Now that number is what they call a Pythagorean number. It forms a pure triangle if you organize the dots uniformly so. And a triangle is symbolic of a mountain which represents a kingdom. And so it is the kingdom catch. The fish represent the people of the secular world who can be saved by Christ and his apostles who have become fishers of men. Now, number two, we just talked about the sea. Let's move on to the earth. The earth represents the realm of the righteous. It represents the place where faith in God can be found. The lamb-like beast, meaning a Christian kind of beast, in Revelation 13, 11, comes out of the earth at the end of time. In Revelation 12, 16, the earth comes to the help of the woman, symbolizing the persecuted church of the Middle Ages. The earth represents the Christian world of the Americas that became a haven of religious freedom after 1798 that absorbed the the persecuting forces of Europe that gave a place for faith to arise, for freedom to be found. Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. The text says, do not harm any tree, which is the third symbol. Well, unfortunately, we need to leave it there for the first portion of today's broadcast, The Seal of God from the East. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland. 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. Reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website. Reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening. And we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.